There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Today's story is one that blasted through headlines for decades and only recently saw a name attached to a long list to a long list of horrendous crimes. Crimes that escalated over the years and filled an entire state with debilitating fear for a man arrested on April 24th, 2018 that almost got away with murder. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., a name that almost everyone can recognize, was born on November 8, 1945 in Bath, New York, and was the oldest of four children. According to reports by relatives, Joseph was very young when he witnessed his seven-year-old sister being raped by two airmen in a Germany warehouse, and following his conviction, one of his sisters claimed that Joseph was abused by their father throughout his young life. Between 1959 and 1960, Joseph attended Mills Junior High School in Rancho Cordova, California, and after attending Folsom High School for a bit, he left school and got his GED in 1964. This was around the same time that he committed his first set of burglaries and was known to torture and kill small animals throughout his teen years, an action that, for whatever reason, was never dealt with or treated. Shortly after getting his GED, Joseph joined the U.S. Navy, served 22 months during the Vietnam War, and in August of 1968, came back to California to attend Sierra College in Rockland and graduate with honors and a degree in police service. In May of 1970, Joseph asked his girlfriend and classmate at Sierra College, Bonnie Jean Cowell, to marry him, but she broke off the relationship after he pulled a gun on her and tried to force their union. He then moved on and attended Sacramento State University, where he earned a degree in criminal justice and took some postgraduate courses, police training in Visalia, and a 32-week internship at the Roseville Police Department in order to make his dreams of becoming a police officer a reality. The year 1973 became a big one for Joseph, becoming a burglary unit police officer in Exeter, where he would work until August of 1976, and getting married to a woman named Sharon Marie Huddle and purchasing a home with her in Citrus Heights in 1980. This was also the same year that an unknown man began terrorizing the San Joaquin Valley and would soon earn the name the Vasilia Ransacker. The first recorded incident with the ransacker was on May 19, 1974, though earlier crimes took place in the area dating all the way back to May of 1973 under the name the Cordova Cat Burglarer, as well as others that were later attributed to Joseph James D'Angelo, when the sum of $50 worth of coins and other items were taken from a piggy bank. And over the course of the next 20 months, the ransacker would commit at minimum a total of 120 or so burglaries in the area. He was known for breaking into homes, rifling through their items or vandalizing them, scattering the female's undergarments all over the house, and taking a number of small, low-value items and often leaving behind banknotes and other big-ticket pieces. He was also known to rearrange or display odd items throughout the home before fleeing into the night. He often broke into multiple homes in one day and, in a shocking record, burglarized 12 different residences on November 30, 1974, alone. 
While the ransacker was giving police a hard time, Joseph James D'Angelo was living his life, eventually having three children with Sharon and working with the local police department. In August of 1976, Joseph began serving with the Auburn Police Department, where he would stay until July of 1979, when he was arrested for shoplifting a hammer and some dog repellent, was sentenced to six months probation, and threatened to kill chief of police when he fired him from his job. A threat that, while he never made good on, he was more than capable of committing. Because, as it turns out, Joseph, with all the skills he learned as both a military and policeman, had, by the time of the threat, already taken human lives. With the police still desperate to catch the Veselia ransacker, on September 11, 1975, Joseph broke into the home of Claude Snelling, the 45-year-old journalism professor at the College of the Sequoias, who had, just about seven months prior, chased an unknown prowler from under his daughter's window. When Claude woke up at around 2 a.m., alerted by strange noises in his home, he walked out of his bedroom, shouted, and ran through the open back door where a ski-masked intruder was standing in his carport, with Claude's daughter in his grasp. Claude was immediately shot upon discovery and managed to stagger back into the home before collapsing in front of his wife. While 16-year-old Beth Snelling was able to escape with her life, Claude was not so lucky. After her father's murder, Beth was placed under hypnosis to see if she could remember any further details about the horrible night, while the Visalia Police Department committed more resources to, tr to try and apprehend the ransacker-turned-killer, began nighttime stakeouts, and posted a $4,000 reward, about $19,400 in today's money. At around 8.30 on December 12, 1975, a masked man entered the backyard of a home near where the ransacker had already been frequenting. Because of this, there was an officer, Detective William McGowan, staking out the area. When the detective saw the assailant, he attempted to make an arrest. The masked man shrieked, ripped off his mask, and feigned surrender only after the officer fired a warning shot in his direction. Just when Detective McGowan was about to approach, the ransacker jumped over the fence, pulled out his revolver, and fired off a shot near the detective's face. Nearby officers came to his aid, and the ransacker was able to make his escape, leaving behind a flashlight, tennis shoe tracks, and some stolen blue chip stamps, and a sock full of coins. Shortly after this near miss, Joseph D'Angelo moved to the Sacramento area where, for whatever reason, he decided to add rape to his already lengthy list of crimes. Rapes that took place all throughout the area, as well as Contra Costa County, Stockton, and Modesto, and would earn him the name the East Area Rapist. From 1976 to 1979, Joseph D'Angelo would, after stalking the area and learning the comings and goings of the residents, entered the middle-class home of women who either lived alone or were alone at the time of his break-in, awaken the sleeping resident, and threaten them with a handgun. He would then bind their hands, blindfold and gag them, and rape them repeatedly over several hours. Eventually, his taste for victims started to alter slightly, and instead of attacking single women, he began shifting his preference to that of couples. Because he spent weeks or longer staking out his prospective homes, often entering prior to the rapes and leaving windows open and ligatures behind for later, Joseph was able to enter without detection, awake the woman with a weapon, and force her to tie up her male companion with ligatures so tight that they would be numb hours later. 
The woman was then bound herself, blindfolded and gagged, and raped for hours on end while her partner, usually lying with stacks of plates on their backs so Joseph could hear them rattle if they moved, was forced to stand by and watch. He would spend hours altering between rape and ransacking and would even on occasion cook a full meal for himself and sit down to eat before beginning the rapes all over again. When he was finished, stolen personal items in hand, he would escape on foot through a series of yards or trails and leave his victims bound inside of their homes. And if that wasn't bad enough, the rapist was known to make taunting phone calls to past and future victims making six calls between 1977 and 1978 alone. In total, he had at least 50 victims during those three or so years that he was active. While the residents lived in complete fear, in December of 1977, someone claiming to be the East Area Rapist sent a poem to the Sacramento Bee, the mayor's office, and a television station. At its conclusion, the poem read, your East Area Rapist and Deserving Pest. See you in the press or on TV. On December 11th, a masked man eluded police and, after a three-month lull, struck again in nearby San Joaquin County before returning to Sacramento for all but one of the next 10 attacks. He struck five more times during the summer of 1978 before disappearing for another three months and turning back up in Contra Costa County, where he worked until July of 1979. The same year, Joseph D'Angelo lost his job and made that threat. Then on February 2nd, 1978, in the middle of the rapes, couple Brian Maggiore, a military policeman, and his wife Katie were out walking their dog in Rancho Cordova when they were confronted with a fleeing masked man. They attempted to escape the unknown man, but were chased down and shot to death. While some investigators suspected that they had been murdered by the East Area Rapist, no official conclusions were drawn until 2016. There was also no official connections between the rapes happening around Sacramento and the previous burglaries that took place in Visalia. Though it had been long suspected that the attacks in Visalia were simply training for what took place in Sacramento. With the investigation at an all-time high, evidence was found at one of the scenes that, for a long time, became one of the biggest pieces of evidence in the case. Left on the floor at the scene of a December 1978 attack, investigators found what appeared to be three sheets of notebook paper that looked like homework. The first was an essay on General George Armstrong Custer. The second was a journal-style entry describing a teacher who made students write lines. And the last was a hand-drawn map of what appeared to be the neighborhood and the word punishment written across the top. Though they were unable to determine the neighborhood in the drawing, police realized that the skill level used to draw this map meant that the rapist likely had knowledge of architectural layouts and landscape design. With little else to go off of, police clung to this bit of information. With the news being flooded with information on the East Area Rapist, Joseph D'Angelo's own brother-in-law brought up the case in conversation, and neighbors complained about his profane outbursts and violent threats. None, however, suspected that he was the man responsible for the horrendous crimes. Had they, he may not have gotten the opportunity to, once again, escalate into something more deadly. Shortly after he committed yet another rape on July 5th, 1979, Joseph moved on to Southern California, where he, once again, took up ransacking. 
On October 1st, 1979, in Goleta, California, Joseph broke into a couple's home and found them as he had done so many times before. While doing so, the couple heard him say, I'll kill him to himself. And, fearful for their lives, the man and woman attempted to make an escape while the intruder was out of the room. The woman then screamed and, realizing that she had raised the alarm, Joseph got on a nearby bicycle and fled the scene. Only moments later, the couple's neighbor ran over and began to pursue the assailant. He just so happened to be an FBI agent. Though he was able to make his escape, the attacker left behind a shoe print and twine that were entered into evidence and linked to future attacks. On December 30th, 1979, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Alexander Manning were found shot to death inside of Robert's condo in Goleta. Robert's bindings were untied, indicating that he attempted to make an attack on his assailant, and dog footprints were found at the scene leading police to surmise the attacker may have brought a dog with him to the home. He once again made his escape on a stolen bicycle that was later found abandoned on a street just north of the crime scene. Less than three months later, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered in their Ventura home. Charlene, in addition to being murdered, was raped prior to her death, and both were bludgeoned with a log taken from a woodpile at the side of their home. While the police were too late to save the couple, their murders offered a piece of evidence that would alter the way that they were looking at this seemingly unrelated crime. When checking their bindings, police noted that the unusual Chinese knot that was used on Charlene's wrists, the same knot that was used on the wrists of most of the victims of the East Area Rapist. Realizing that a decade's worth of crimes might be connected, police broadened their investigation and threw more resources into the case. While they did their work, so did Joseph James D'Angelo. On August 19, 1980, 24-year-old Keith Eli Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Briscoe Harrington were found bludgeoned to death inside their home situated within a gated community. Although there was evidence that the couple had been bound, no ligatures nor weapons were found at the scene. The pair had only been married for three months at the time of their murder. On February 6, 1981, 28-year-old Manuela Witham was raped and murdered inside of her Irvine home and, like the couple before her, had the weapon and ligature used in her murder taken away from the scene. Though she was married at the time of her death, Manuela's husband was away being hospitalized. Back in Goleta on July 17, 1981, 35-year-old Sherry Domingo and 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez were both attacked inside of Sherry's temporary home. Gregory, who some believed knew he was dealing with the man responsible for the Offerman-Manning murders, tried to tackle the intruder in order to avoid being bound. He was shot to death and bludgeoned with a garden tool. His face was covered with clothing pulled from the closet. Sherry Domingo was raped and bludgeoned to death with evidence showing that she was restrained at the time of her murder. They were his 10th and 11th victims. In 1982, a previous victim received a phone call at the restaurant where she worked and was threatened with another rape. According to the Contra Costa County investigator, Paul Holes, the rapist must have been a patron at the restaurant and recognized his victim. 
After Sherry and Gregory's murder and the random phone call, the man who they now called the original Night Stalker laid low for just over five years before striking one last time in Irvine, when, on May 4th, 1986, police found the body of 18-year-old Janelle Lisa Cruz lying inside of her home. She had been raped and bludgeoned to death with a pipe wrench while her family was on vacation in Mexico. Now, while some believe that the cases were all connected, not all agreed with the theory. Therefore, the cases of the Visalia Ransacker, the East Area Rapist, and the original Night Stalker were investigated for decades, had many, many suspects, all cleared with DNA, alibi, or other methods, and saw a number of dead ends that chilled the investigation to the bone. Meanwhile, Joseph James D'Angelo and Sharon separated in 1991, the same year one of the previous victims received a phone call from her attacker, and filed for divorce in 2018 and were officially granted their separation in 2019. On April 6, 2001, one day after an article appeared in the Sacramento Bee linking the crimes of the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist, a phone call came in to yet another victim who heard the familiar sound of her rapist saying, Remember when we played? Shortly after the article and the taunting phone call, cases that were once connected simply because of matching M.O. were now connected via DNA, thus combining his two nicknames into the acronym EROS for the first time. While the investigations continued and progress was being made, the case became instrumental in the establishment of the California's DNA database, which collects samples from all accused and convicted felons in California. And to ensure the case remained in the forefront of people's mind, crime writer Michelle McNamara, for the first time, coined the name Golden State Killer in 2013. Meaning, while slow-paced, this investigation continued to be worked even as the years passed by. So many years that, I'm sure Joseph James D'Angelo started to feel like he was invisible. On June 15, 2016, the FBI released more information about the Golden State Killer, including new composite sketches as well as a $50,000 reward. All of their hard work, most of which was behind the scenes, seemed to pay off because on April 24, 2018, Joseph James D'Angelo, with the help of GED Match, familial DNA, and a left-behind sample on a door handle, was arrested and charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. On May 19th, the Santa Barbara County DA charged him with four additional counts of first-degree murder. At the time of his arrest, he was also suspected in the November 1974 rape and murder of Jennifer Armour, the December 1975 rape and murder of Donna Jo Richmond, and the November 1978 murder of a woman and her son in Simi Valley. He was cleared of all three by DNA testing. Despite this major victory, statute of limitations did not allow for any charges in the 1970s rapes. However, he was charged in August of 2018 with 13 related kidnapping and abduction attempts. At the time of his arrest, Joseph D'Angelo made a cryptic confession in which he referred to an inner personality named Jerry, who he claimed forced him to commit the crimes, and later said, quote, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head, I mean. He's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. 
I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. On June 29, 2020, Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. pleaded guilty to multiple counts of murder and kidnapping, and as part of his plea, could not be sentenced to death for his crimes, thus finally putting an end to his long reign of terror. On August 21, 2020, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with no chance of parole. At the time of his sentence, he had this to say, I've listened to all your statements, each one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I have hurt. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.